on America Can We Talk. I talk about election integrity, border security, healthcare freedom, race relations, energy and tax policy, education policy, free speech and assembly, freedom of religion, and all other issues that touch on the God-given right of every American to life, liberty, and the pursuit of their version of happiness. Stay tuned. your tolerance but lecture me is there no end to your own hypocrisy your god is power you have no shame your only interest is political gain you hide your eyes and refuse to listen you play your game. coming up next america can we talk with your host debbie georgiatos And hello and welcome to America Can We Talk. I'm Debbie Georgiatis. Thank you so much for tuning in today. Today in this show, we're going to be talking about a judge dismisses a Kerry Lake election lawsuit again. Very profound things, I think, consequences of that. John Strand uh, joins me in studio. He is facing 23 years in prison for doing nothing wrong. If you listen to yesterday's show, we had live in studio. Dr. Simone Gold, she told her story and many more things. It was a fabulous interview yesterday uh, regarding healthcare freedom, January 6th, rule of law, many, many things. John Strand uh, joined us briefly during the show yesterday, said hello. After the show, I recorded this interview that I'll play for you in just a few moments uh, with John Strand yesterday. Uh, he is her bodyguard and was on Capitol Hill on January 6th with her and uh, now faces a long time in prison. So, Judge dismisses Kerry Lake, John Strand uh, facing prison. He'll be uh, just a great, profound, deep interview coming up in a moment. And then Durham's report and the evil among us. I quickly want to talk about the Kerry Lake um, situation. So, Kerry Lake, you likely know, ran for governor in Arizona. Uh, she was, you know, is kind of in 2022. She ran in 2022, and she was popular like Trump was popular in 2020. I mean, she had crowds everywhere, people very, very excited and, you know, really loving her energy and passion. She spoke a lot about election integrity, uh, making reference to the 2020 election, which she and frankly millions of Americans recognize uh, was stolen. And she also talked about border security and the implications of not having an enforceable border on in Arizona, which is a border state with Mexico. So she had a very, very popular campaign. And then lo and behold, the election outcome was reported uh, that she lost to who, the woman who was then Secretary of State, Katie Hobbs, who is now sitting in the governor's seat in Arizona. Katie Hobbs herself, as a Secretary of State candidate, was one of the um, just... Um, legions of people who received campaign money from George Soros or George Soros funded organizations. She actually sat on the board of a very radical left George Soros funded organization. And so she was in charge of the election integrity because she's secretary of state and she's running for governor and she's in charge of it. So many, many um, issues arose out of that, um, that election, uh, incredibly ridiculous, impossible to believe, um, you know, claims about involving, um, involving election fraud. I mean, impossible to believe there wasn't fraud. Uh, Maricopa County, largest county there in Arizona, just multitudes of problems in their uh, campaign in, in that election that day. Um, so Carrie Lake filed lawsuits, and she has been front and center, unwavering, insisting she's going to keep 
trying to correct the record and give the people of Arizona the chance to actually choose their governor. Uh, she allegedly lost the election in 2022 by uh, 17,000 votes, um, and Maricopa County was a place where we talked about it on the show many times before, but they had you know, they had voting machines breaking down in 25% of the precincts. They had people who got turned away, couldn't vote. They had, I mean, just, just a myriad. It wasn't just a few little glitches, which seem to um, sometimes always happen. So she filed a, a lawsuit, and it went up eventually to the Supreme Court of Arizona. It, well, it was thrown out by a trial court judge, confirmed by an appellate court judge. Arizona Supreme Court said, you know what? She can at least try to prove her claims on the subject of signature verification, which is one of the many things that flow from the massive use of mail-out ballots, mail-in ballots, and then someone has to be able to have the job of looking at the signatures and saying, does the signature on this ballot look anything like the signature of the voter, which is on your voter registration card? So, I mean, I think we played, I know we played a few of these in the show. We could spend a whole show talking about the absurdities, but there were just countless, I mean, just obviously total not matches, nothing similar uh, to be found between a certain voter, uh, voter's voting card signature and the ballot that was counted for that person, the signature on that ballot. So many, many um, just massive problems in, the, um, in Maricopa County. So she, Carrie Lake, and her team were given the opportunity to prove up, essentially, that there was significant opportunity for election fraud in Maricopa County. Obviously, the goal is to either declare her a winner, which it appears obvious she was, um, or to have another election. So Carrie Lake's trying this. She, they go back, and she, you know, does, she turned up, and many people saw these things online. You can find the stories online. Just the absurdity of signatures that didn't match. And so yesterday, the trial judge ruled he dismissed her case. He, the trial judge, ruled against Carrie Lake, dismissed her case, and some of the uh, left-wing news outlets are trying to say, call it, making final her election laws. This is final. No more talking. And Carrie Lake is saying, of course, she's going to appeal that. What is so, you know, I, I don't want to spend time in this uh, short segment today diving into the evidence of the election fraud, because if you care about the issue, you've been reading about it, you read these things online, you see these absurd signature verification things, you see all sorts of other just grotesque abnormalities that occurred in Maricopa County, um, Arizona, and so you kind of go, well, you know, kind of you either know or you don't. And if, and if you since you know those facts, then you understand what has occurred. But I do want to talk about the larger um, issue derived, coming from this decision by the ju judge, <clears throat> excuse me, to dismiss Carrie Lake's lawsuit and how it fits into the bigger picture among patriots in this country watching what's happening to their country. During the time Donald Trump uh, you know, ran 2020, and you all know the layout, the lay of the land then, you know, massive rallies everywhere he went. You know, I'm, I, I'm not even going to give you a litany of all the reasons anyone sentient, anyone reading and learning, think, concludes that Donald Trump uh, won the election. It was stolen from, from him, and we now have he who occupies the White House uh, running our country into the ground on purpose. That is what the Biden administration is doing, running America into, ground, into the ground on purpose. But the larger thing I want to talk about, because it relates to the, the interview I did yesterday with John Strand. So in Arizona, and you know, people who become judges, obviously, you had to have attended law school. 
uh, clearly. You had to have, you know, in many states you are, they elect judges, or in other states judges are appointed. But in any case, you've risen from the level of graduating from law school, practicing law, and then making it into the realm of people who can serve as judges. Now, the process is supposed to be one where people, you know, they want to get a sense of the integrity of the judge. The judge is not supposed to be partisan, not supposed to be political. It's supposed to take the highest concept of the rule of law and and in courtroom conduct, apply whether it's a man or woman judge, male or female judge, apply the law to the facts. They are supposed to uh, follow the law with respect to evidence rulings, with respect to you know whatever the statute in question says. But they're also supposed to bring to the rule of law, bring to their role as a judge, the very high concept America set in its founding of the idea of the rule of law, which is we don't decide cases based on who we like better, what political race, ethnicity, national origin, skin color, religion, or anything else is the attribute of anyone in the court case. No one's personally identifying characteristics, no one's political ideology, no one's political bent, no one's thinking on any issue is supposed to weigh in to how the judge rules in a case. And you'll be hearing more in a moment in that interview with John Strand, but and I talked with John Strand after the show yesterday, along with Dr. Simone Gold, about how deeply alarming Americans are finding uh, the situation in the country to be. There is a growing sense among millions of Americans that the judicial system is being used very much the same way the FBI and DOJ are being used to push the agenda of the radical left to silence patriots, to silence people who still want to insist on the Constitution, the rule of law, the promises of the Declaration, the notion of individual freedom. There's just a sense that the judges are going along with a massive sweep of history that is now happening to the world, which is around the world. There's a growing uh, re-energizing of the communist movement of the, whether you call it Marxist, socialist, communist, a rising uh, allegiance to that idea and an arising determination that there's going to be that idea of communism, of the loss of individual freedom, of the right of, of essentially government to create a state-controlled society with very few rights that are held onto by the individuals. This is a rising agenda in the world. It, it is a massive sweep of the world and is happening in America too, in, in many ways we've talked about in the show before. But what is a concern among many is how many judges in our system, in this country, seem to be going along with this massive sweep, this push, pushing aside the promises of America's founding, the uniqueness of our justice system, the commitment to the rule of law and the equal application of the law, and judges instead making decisions in cases because they are being swept along with the, the, I don't know what to call it, sweep of history. The idea that everyone agrees on certain narrative items, so people are supposed to agree, that, agree election fraud is not a real thing, is not a big problem, uh, there was no theft of the election in 2020, there was no outcome changing election fraud in 2020, there is no capacity to steal elections in this system in America, we have the most secure system in the world. Everyone's supposed to think that, it's a left-wing narrative that has been set in place by, of course, the left, as long, along with many people in power in Washington and state capitals, along with the media in this country, they will skewer and pillory, just, just attack anyone who dares to question the integrity of America's elections, including the social media companies who will 
punish pundits, punish talk shows, punish people who post things that question the integrity of our elections in this country. And so the idea that an individual judge in Arizona who's got a case where, you know, the, the, the left is on fire in this country to make mincemeat out of Carrie Lake, to depict her as, you know, either personally just, you know, as seeking power, desperately seeking power, out of touch with reality, making up false claims, you know, spreading conspiracy theories. She's a she's been painted uh, by the leftists in this country as just someone not to be taken seriously, someone to be dismissed, back of the hand, get rid of her. She's annoying us, and we have the Katie Hobbs, George Soros-backed Katie Hobbs, sitting in place in the governor's seat. And can't you just let this go? I think. This judge in this case, I do not know him, but this judge in this case found it much easier to conclude that all the evidence presented regarding the uh, failure of the election verification process, the signature verification process, to really be meaningfully applied, this judge found it easier to go along with the, the general narrative of American society, the left-wing talking point, which is there's no such thing as serious election fraud. There's no such thing as an election, you know, uh, of anything being amiss in our election system. And actually that people like Carrie Lake, who continue to talk about election fraud and border security and many other issues that are important to patriots, people like her are to be shut down. Some of the evidence that was presented in this, in this follow-up after the Arizona Supreme Court sent the case back to the trial judge, it, it was, I mean, they were absurd, absurd examples of clearly no match between the voter card, the voter signature on, the, on your voter ID card and the signature on the ballot. And the judge just kind of, I mean, the ruling was that she failed to present by a preponderance of the evidence or by the clear and convincing standard, another legal standard, um, that there was that there was a, a outcome changing election fraud. So they just don't want to deal with it. And I want to a couple more points before I turn to our interview. It's important to understand what people do, what they argue when they are trying to say, you know, to her, to Carrie Lake, and you'll see this kind of sentiment expressed all over the place, not just in left-wing sources, but even in conservative sources. It's time to let it go. Just let it go. Forget about it. Move on. Run for something else. Do something else. I don't know. Start a foundation. Stop arguing. This is the argument people make about Carrie Lake as well as others concerned about election fraud and the federal elections as not just Donald Trump, it's elections across the board in this country, Donald Trump being the, the key figure that people mostly talk about related to election fraud, but there's a push by even fair-minded people who might genuinely believe that election integrity is important and genuinely believe we have a problem with election fraud, but they're, they're tired of this. They've had enough. Okay, she's had enough cases, she's gone, she made enough arguments, she's filed enough briefs, she hasn't won yet, she just needs to let it go. And I want to urge you to not buy into that thinking. Because what that thinking is saying is, if these people who orchestrate election fraud, who commit election fraud, succeed in getting someone placed in office who didn't win the election, if they can just hang in there, if they can just withstand a little bit of litigation and a little bit of scrutiny to their campaign, uh, you know, the judges will finally rule in favor of the person sitting in office. And, you know, we just, just, just let it march on and, and we're supposed to all let it go. But the problem is, 
nothing has been done to actually correct the problem of the massive, massive election integrity, that has election fraud that has consumed this country since at least 2002. Nothing. And if you let it go, if, you're, if you just say, if Carrie Lake says, okay, fine, let it go, she's apparently going to appeal. I don't know if she has, whether she has strong enough grounds to have the case heard again, but I do know that pushing to demand justice is a core thing in this country, a core need if you ever want to have justice again. Because every time a judge throws out, and, and what happened during the 2020 election, after the 2020 election, many cases filed in various courts around the country, virtually all of them except one, all except one, tossed out by the judge, also being pushed, uh, peer pressured into dismissing his cases, get him out of our way, we don't want to have to deal with this. All except one were dismissed on procedural grounds, like filed too soon, filed too late, don't have standing, some other procedural basis to dismiss the case, leaving a stolen election intact. And that's where we are. And that's why when people talk about how concerned they are about this country, among the many reasons is we don't really have any certainty that where we are as a country is going to be any different in 2024. And I will, I've got to get to my interview because I want to make sure we have time. And yeah, <laughs> my producer is like, you got to let, got to play the interview. I will tell you that if we don't insist on fixing election integrity in this country, if we don't insist on it, we're going to get to 2024. We're very likely going to have Donald Trump be the GOP candidate, Joe Biden, or whoever he gets, you know, pulling his strings uh, as the Democrat candidate. And what are we going to do? What will we do in 2024 if again the election, as it was in 2020, is stolen again? And we have new, astonishing turnout. We won't believe it. 110 million Americans voted for Biden. And, you know, only 30 million for Trump. Now you go away. What are you going to do at that point? What's anyone going to do? What's going to happen to the country? Because everyone knows that Biden administration is just, you know, driving this country over a cliff into communism. And, you know, Donald Trump is, no matter how much they attack him, pillory him, accuse him, charge him, arrest him, all that ever happens is his popularity grows with the GOP voting base and with more and more people who are actually waking up to recognize we are watching the takedown of our country and he's about the only one actually able to stand up for this country. So the dismissal of Kerry Lake's lawsuit, very consequential because this is again the judicial system, again a judge saying, I don't want to touch this, I don't want to be the victim, I don't want to be the next one with a you know, target on my back, next one mocked, ridiculed, you know, ignored, kicked out of my country club, whatever they're worried about, they don't want to do it. I don't believe for a moment a moment that this judge did not see more than adequate evidence to at least order a new election, if not to just order Carrie Lake as the victor. But it's just easier to surrender to the mob. But if they all surrender to the mob, there's no America left. Here's my interview with John Strand from just yesterday. You will love it. I'm very happy to have uh, John Strand in studio. I mentioned on yesterday's show, John Strand uh, is someone I've known for a little while. He was in Washington on January 6th, and I am featuring these stories related to January 6th because what we are watching happen in our country is actually the destruction, the dissolution of the very concept of the rule of law in America, the way the Department of Justice is conducting itself is just 
reprehensible, and these stories need to get out there. We need to have people begin to understand personal level, personal stories, what's happening to people's lives over their, just because of their presence in Washington on January 6, 2021, and John Strand is just one such person, so I invited him in the studio. Hi, John. Hi, Debbie. Thanks for having me on. Glad you are here. I do want to start with, we're going to do your video in just a minute. I do want to start with, so you're in Washington, January 6, 2021. You know, why were you there? What, what was going on? So it's been my honor and pleasure for the last few years to serve as the creative director at America's Frontline Doctors. And of course, that was founded by um, the one and only Dr. Simone Gold, who has just been a hero in our time. And I, I knew she was a rising hero early on in the chaos of the coronavirus lockdowns. Uh, which she bravely exposed and pushed back against. So as soon as I had an opportunity to um, start working alongside of her and supporting that effort, uh, I jumped in uh, with both feet uh, and 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 uh, head first. <laughs> okay, quickly on that creative director, they put out so many great videos, informational things. Is that the kind of thing you're helping with? Yes, yes, yeah. absolutely. It's wonderful. Okay. Yeah, so, my, so my, my background is as a professional artist before I got into the freedom fighting space. So I've been working as a, and an actor and a, and, a, and a model and a musician and, and so forth over the years, including working in the Hollywood industry. Um, so I was from Los Angeles and was in LA at the time that um, Dr. Gold was also working there. So I was able to um, help her with creative developments on videos and communications for the organization, as you said. But another thing that I did was I actually had a legitimate background in security um, as well, and I was performing um, security services for Dr. Gold while she was uh, doing her speaking engagements on the East Coast during that time. So we had a East Coast tour that spanned from Florida to DC um, preceding January 6th. And uh, so that's why I was in Washington, D.C. On, on the 5th and the 6th, was to provide security for Dr. Gold while she was speaking. Okay, I have to mention on that idea, if people think it's at all odd to provide security for someone like Dr. Gold, we have had people in my show who won't go anywhere without security. I mean, anywhere. And sometimes I think people think, isn't that a little bit melodramatic? But actually, America's a, um, sadly, there's, there's a... A lot of division in America, a lot of anger, and so the idea that people who are prominent, who will speak up, who will say things, it's, the need for security is just, you know, it's, it's like needing the need to lock your front door at night. It's, it's a basic need for people, sure like Dr. Simone Gold, who, uh, as I mentioned in the show yesterday, pioneer in speaking up on so many things, and someone who has, you know, people who don't like that she speaks up. So I, I love the idea she has security. I'm thrilled to hear that. Of course, it's I mean, the idea of of uh, securing yourself, defending yourself is a bedrock to the country, right? Of course, uh, the foundational right that we always claim is the First Amendment, the right to speak your mind, and that's followed immediately by the Second Amendment to defend that right, that you, uh, that you maintain sovereignty over yourself, including the ability to defend yourself from attack. Absolutely. Okay, so you're in Washington January 6th. I take it you're over the area where President Trump was speaking first? Correct. Yeah, we, we attended his speech at the Ellipse in the morning and then joined the march that was planned in advance to uh, make your way from the Ellipse to the Capitol grounds for afternoon speeches that were planned in advance with government-approved permits, and Dr. Gold was one of those pre-scheduled speakers. Okay, so where she was scheduled to speak was more was closer to the Capitol grounds. Yeah, immediately okay. outside the Capitol building. Mm -hmm. Okay, and there were, as you said, I mean, you said it quickly, but be, that you that was a permitted, as in permit had been granted for this event. Government-approved permit weeks in advance. Yeah, I mean that, that's a really big deal. You never hear that detail pointed out. There's a you lot really of details don't. they tended they tended to minimize or, or uh, obfuscate or uh, refuse to release. 
It is, yeah, don't get me started. So, so you're over in the Capitol grounds. At some point, you entered the Capitol. How how that all go down? Essentially, the marching from the Ellipse to the Capitol, we were, as many others were, tens and hundreds of thousands were moving that direction to participate in those speeches. Uh, by the time we got to the location, which is roughly the northeast cap corner of the Capitol building, we were informed at that time, and this is slightly after 2 p.m., we're already actually an hour late, roughly, um, which is fine, but we got there at 2 p.m. ish, and someone said, oh, they've canceled the speeches, which is entirely confusing. That's analogous to planning for a year to go to the Super Bowl, um, putting yeah. it on your calendar, spending all the money to get time and tickets and actually get there, plowing through 100,000 people to find your seat, getting into your seat five minutes before game time, and then the announcer says, oh, we're so sorry, we've had to cancel the Super Bowl this year. It would be confusion, and then it would be chaos, <laughs> and that's what happened. Yeah, you know, there's that. Plus, it wasn't like it's far more important than even a Super Bowl game because that day in Washington, there were people. I mean, Dr. Gold certainly is a spokesperson, has been heroically speaking up about healthcare freedom, the rights of individuals to pr pursue healthcare without the government blocking or challenging, and the right of doctors to prescribe things. I mean, she's been an activist since forming America's Frontline Doctors. So yeah, yeah. I mean, just on that point, it was extremely. It's a it's a basic free speech thing in America. She was doing, okay. So you, anyway, you speeches got canceled. Then what happened? Uh, well, when the once we realized it seemed that there would be no speeches, uh, like I said, if you cancel the Super Bowl and the stadium's already packed, what happens? That's what happened. There were tens and then hundreds of thousands of people in that area all f filling in the space to participate in something, yeah. and they decided to make their own concert on the steps. Uh, and we, Dr. Gold tried to get a vantage point where people could see and hear her, at least to the best of, of her ability to try to give her speech in, just on her own. Sure. Um, so uh, the capitals, or the steps leading up to the east entrance of the Capitol have balconies on either side, which would afford um, a visible vantage point. So she was attempting to kind of reach that spot. I was simply accompanying her to make sure she was safe. That was my primary job and responsibility for the day. And uh, she made it kind of close to that area, but just wasn't able to physically get there simply because of the sheer size of the crowd. It got very compacted, very much like a mosh pit of excitement, jovial um, anticipation of your your rock star artist that's gonna come out and perform a show. Uh, and that was sort of, their attention was focused on the East Capitol doors. Why? I'm not really sure. I, I thought they were just gonna stand on the steps, wave the flags, which they did for a while. Uh, but eventually the crowd got so thick that we and everyone couldn't leave. Um, and then after, a very pivotal moment at which there was a huge bang that startled the crowd and we realized we were under attack. It became more contested. And at that moment, you'll see videos that the DOJ and mainstream media love to cherry pick and display to you as this was a violent insurrection or a deadly riot or all these other um, uh, flam you know, flammable terms they use. Uh, but again, those were select moments that they cherry pick and that happened after the crowd was attacked by U.S. Capitol Police. Now, this has all been very well documented and exposed by various features, including the real story of Jan 6 from Epic Times, which focuses on the violation of use of force protocols and uh, many other actions by the government, who has a much higher standard of culpability and responsibility than the average citizen does. The, uh, you know, the federal government that we give power to and allow to be weaponized with literal weapons turn those weapons on American citizens on the steps of, of the Capitol building before there was overt violence. It, it was just a large crowd participating in a rally, which that's what they were supposed to be doing that day. So at some point you entered the Capitol. I mean, just after that, after that contentious moment where the crowd was attacked by USCP, a few minutes after that, roughly 
somewhere in the 10 minute range, I believe. Um, it wasn't immediately after we were taxed, but it was somewhat shortly afterwards before we could disseminate in any sense. The doors were open from the inside and the sheer size of the crowd and also just the tumult that had occurred caused a funnel that just flushed people in. We were pretty close to the entrance at that point, um, pushed up against a wall, but we were close to that, that, that entry moment. And uh, if we hadn't gone inside, we would have literally been trampled. So I, I directed Dr. Gould inside as we got pushed to make sure she wasn't harmed and then just pushed her out of that melee and straight ahead into the center portion of the, of the Capitol building. I'll make a quick point about the doors being opened. Yes. People were saying the doors were open from the inside, correct? They were, but you know what's actually the most interesting part of this, Debbie, is that the east entrance of the Capitol is referred to as the Columbus doors. And the reason for that is that there are two sets of doors on that main entrance. Also, it's important to realize that that main entrance is ceremonial only. It is locked, closed, not used 99% of the time. It is only used when it's scheduled well in advance for some dignitary or ceremony. Mm -hmm. That was not the case on January 6th, obviously. So there is zero reason that the East Capitol doors should have been penetrable by people, period. There should not have been any physical option uh, for a crowd to press up against those doors and enter them, even if the inner doors were opened from the inside because the outer doors are 20,000 pounds of engraved, engraved bronze with bolts. Yeah. Yeah. So this is not something that anyone inside or out can just haphazardly decide, I'm gonna open the doors and let the people in. That's not possible. It was controlled from the inside somehow. It was unlocked prior to the event happening because they are oh. bolted into place. Okay. There are bolts that secure those bronze doors and locks on those bolts, no single person inside or outside can just arbitrarily decide I'm going to unlock the Columbus doors. Okay, I did not realize all that detail. Mm -hmm. So um, I do want to get to so much in your case, but I want to just lay the groundwork for our listeners. So once you got inside, you stayed in the main rotunda area, is that right? We stayed inside the red velvet ropes. Our only intention was simply to ascertain where we were. I didn't study the map of the Capitol building and had never been there. If I had been there, it would have been as a child when I don't even remember. So I've never been there as, as an adult. Did not understand the layout of the building. Had no expectation of being inside the building that day. Yeah. You know, my understanding of the layout was where do I get to the speech outside? And that's all I was concerned with. So once I found myself inside, I just followed people in front of me within red velvet ropes to determine where are we? What's going on? I, once I spilled inside with Dr. Gold, I immediately ascertained around me that there were already dozens of people that had gained entry from somewhere else other than that east door. So okay. immediately I thought there must be other people that have been allowed in. There must be some purpose for these people being in here. I'm not sure what that is, but I did see uniformed uh, government agents and uniformed police officers holding rifles. None of them came over to me. None of them gave any indication of an order or directive. They were just hanging out, kind of observing who was there. And like I said, there were dozens of people already inside before I got in. Okay, and where you were, it turned out, was the rotunda, was the basic rotunda. Immediately in front of me was a hall that led into the rotunda, so that's the first main, main area I entered, uh, and then quickly just proceeded through red velvet ropes because there wasn't really anything in the rotunda other than a few people and some artwork, uh, and, and it was beautiful to see. Yeah. Uh, but we just continued past that into then Statuary Hall, and then past that to the next hallway, which then filled up with people, and it got clustered, uh, it, got, it got full, so I couldn't proceed any further. But I was, I was simply looking for what's going on in this building and how do we get out of it safely, that's all. Yeah, no intention when you went to Washington that day to get in the Capitol, that no, wasn't the goal. Okay, the 
And once you're inside, just to, so I know that Dr. Gold attempted to give her a speech that she was supposed to give earlier. Did she do that inside? Yes, but that only happened after we had spent 15 to 20 minutes trying to ascertain what's going on and how do we get out of here. <laughs> once, yeah. And once we realized we literally couldn't get out yet, we, you know, we went as far as we could in one direction to seek a safe public exit. Couldn't find it. We eventually ran into some police officers towards that direction that said, actually, you guys need to go back the way you came. And we said, okay, no problem, thank you. And we complied with their orders. Then we realized we were stuck between that point and the original entry point, which was still blocked by people and activity. We couldn't yeah. get out yet. So we were stuck in the middle, which was Statuary Hall. And at that point, Dr. Gold said, well, we can't leave quite yet. And we're sitting here in the Capitol. It's a unique moment in time. Why don't sure. I give the speech while I can? It's the last opportunity that I'll have to do it. And I said, well, sure, I'll, I'll videotape that, why not? And uh, that's what we did. So she gave her speech in Thai Statuary Hall, and shortly, at some point, officers came along and said, everybody needs to clear out, and you did. Oh, did. That? Okay, so I want to make one, something clear. Did you, in any course, and anything that happened that day, did you uh, strike anyone, hit anyone? No. Did any officer hit you or strike you? No. Uh, did you break anything? No. Did you try to break anything? No. You did not, I mean, there's, was there any action you took inside the Capitol that was in any way violent? No, none whatsoever. So you're in the Capitol. She finally does her speech in Statuary Hall. I love that place, by the way. It is and you know something amazing? I'm telling you, millions of Americans have been there. I, I went to law school in Washington. I, I thought the Capitol was the coolest thing ever. And the Supreme Court. I mean, it's just the most, and the idea that Americans are going to jail for going in there. And, and anyway, it really, it's, 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 well, it's, but you're right to point that out. It's symbolic of the fact that those buildings are so meaningful and beautiful because of the country that they defend and the ideals that, that they, they facilitate, yeah. right? That they represent. So the building itself, um, it, it, you know, the left loves to do this. They turn everything inside out and upside down. So they've made this whole, this whole tizzy about the Capitol building being assaulted and attacked and democracy being desecrated, right? And yet that's what they're doing by lying about what happened. Of course, the intent of most people being in Washington, D.C. was to defend the rule of law and the democratic principles that we're fortunate and blessed enough to live by. And the Capitol building being the central meeting point of it's our Capitol. Of course, they would be there. And, and yes, it's, it's, those, bu those buildings are beautiful. Um, that the institutions and the, and the precepts of our American Republic are what's really beautiful. Right. And those things being under attack is what's so tragic and so concerning. Absolutely, they are. So you, I just want to get you know, those basic ideas. So on January 6th, so you left when, as soon as you could after you're told to. And then how long between then and you heard from uh, any officials that they were going to be charging you with something? Interesting. So as soon as we left the Capitol, we stood on the steps. We didn't even leave the, the premises immediately afterwards because police officers didn't tell us that that was necessary. There were police officers outside standing there. Some of them walked down the steps uh, on their way to relieve themselves of duty, and I actually was applauding them in, in gratitude and thanks. That's an interesting point because during my trial, the federal prosecutor lied about me and misrepresented that actual video saying that I was angry and attacking police. Outrageous. But, but at the time that it happened, we left the building and our, our understanding was it was a, a bit of an unusual day. We didn't expect people to go inside the building, but it happened and then they left. So we thought, okay, well, that's the end of that interesting rally um, day. And we stood on the steps for another hour chatting with fellow patriots uh, about what happened during the course of the day and their opinions about, of course, the election that people were still concerned about and various um, constitutional issues that we were all 
uh, speaking about. And uh, then we went home before darkness came because we knew at night that Antifa tends to come out and things get more rowdy. So we left. And then I didn't think of it really. The next couple of days we started hearing mainstream media reports, of course, calling this a terrorist event and all these other crazy things that we knew it wasn't because we were there. And yeah. it was entirely confusing to hear it misrepresented and distorted that way. Um, but we, we continued on our speaking tour and then went back home to Los Angeles. And it was 12 days later on Martin Luther King Day, uh, January 18th of 2021, that uh, myself and my co-defendant were violently assaulted by an FBI SWAT team uh, truly built for a drug cartel operation. It was like a scene out of a Jason Bourne action movie yep. with um, a battering ram that literally broke the door to pieces to gain entry um, with assault rifles and red laser dots trained on my chest, again, like out of a blockbuster film. And it was a surreal moment. I was calm and, you know, in my mind wishing that this was my, uh, my big debut audition moment to get on a big action film, but realizing, no, this is actually real. real life. But no, nothing between when leaving Washington and that night, there's been no contact to you saying, hey, they're going to be questioning you or possibly arresting you. For You didn't realize that? No, was, no, okay, no okay. Concept. I'm going to fast forward because there's so many things about your case that, that are, are really astounding. So you end up being charged. Yes. And um, as Dr. Gold was on the show yesterday did, and we've been over her story other times, but you end up being charged, and she, Dr. Gold, decided to uh, to plead guilty to, uh, which it was a very hard thing, I think, for many people involved in January 6th, because on the one hand, people knew it was not very friendly juries around here, and things are very tense, but on the other hand, you know, when you really don't believe you've done anything wrong, it's very hard to convince yourself to plead guilty, but she chose that route, which I totally understand. You chose not to plead guilty. You chose to go ahead and go to trial. Why did you do that? I'm so glad you asked the question, Debbie. So it's really important. Um, you spoke with Dr. Gold on your episode yesterday about the importance of citizens doing something, right? And so many times we struggle with, well, what can we do? Um, but every one of us can always do something, and that is the right thing in our own life in regards to whatever it is that's in front of us at the moment. Hopefully it's not facing a 20-year felony and a DOJ that's guaranteed to convict you and put you in prison for as many years as possible. That's a terrible position to be in. But you could be in a less terrible position and still face the choice between what you know is right and what perhaps is a little easier or more convenient. Um, so ultimately, that's the reason that I made the choice that I did to refuse a fraudulent plea deal. Um, in a moment, I want to touch on what led us to this place in terms of the department of injustice, or as I like to call them, the Department of Jihad, because this is not justice, this is a jihad against, against. American citizens. Right. And th that has gone off track so terribly for, me for reasons that we'll touch on in a moment. But what it's done is it has put people like Dr. Gold and many other January 6th defendants in an impossible, despicable situation of being practically forced to accept a plea, because the alternative is to literally take on a DOJ that will destroy you with a 20-year felony we'll and or many, right. many felonies. And they are literally trying to put American citizens in prison for um, <clears throat> a 70-plus-year-old gentleman who was a, a veteran and a hero of this country. And they are literally sentencing him to 14 years in prison. That's a death sentence for a man who did no, no violent action. This is, this is not only unjust, it's insane. Well... It's very Gestapo-like. I mean, it is Completely. a yeah. It is, and that I know that people overuse dramatic terms, and then they are diminished in their effectiveness. 
but I do think it's valid 100%. to describe you know, DOJ's conduct and FBI's conduct as just Gestapo-like. We are going to shut down anyone who dares disagree with us. We're going to lock you up. We're going to shut you up, and you're going to just do what we tell you. Right. So that's what the, but that's the answer to your question. Why did you refuse the plea? It, it's I, I don't, of course, blame uh, any J6 defendant for accepting that plea. As I said, the alternative is atrocious. But the bottom line, this is just the truth is that the January 6th plea is a lie. And it's not a casual lie, it's, it's not a white lie, it's not, um, it's not an accounting error. <laughs> this is a vicious and evil lie that has been constructed in advance by the DOJ in order to achieve their agenda. It is a part of their machine um, to rack up a bunch of instant wins that they can then put on a sheet of paper and hold up to the American people, which is what they've done, and said, look, hundreds of people have already immediately admitted not only that they're guilty, but that they knew in advance that they were guilty, that they knew in advance that the area was restricted and they shouldn't go there. They knew in advance that they had the intention, the plan to coordinate themselves, to attack the Capitol, to undermine d democracy. All of these things they're getting hundreds of people to admit to, because that's what the fine print on that plea deal says. So I knew this and I said for myself, because I can't, answer for anyone other than myself. But I know that I am 100% innocent of any crimes, and I know with 100% certainty that the January 6th plea is a fraudulent lie that the government is using intentionally to create a false narrative and to weaponize the, judge, the justice system into a, a, a hoax that they can smear you know, a wide more section more of people and create this division and cancel culture and perpetrate their narratives to really totally undermine the Constitution, the rule of law, and lead us into the chaos that we're seeing in every corner of this country. Uh, well said, absolutely agree. I took note, and I mentioned to you um, earlier that I'd had on um, Jaleese and Mark Middleton yes. on the show, and they ran through the charges that were against them. One tactic a, a prosecutor can do, if they want to get you, you can commit one action, one whatever you do you happen to do exactly. and if they want to get you they are going they can make that one action into five six seven eight and i think in the case of middleton's nine charges for standing there on the capitol grounds and praying that's what they did that was their what they the conduct in your case and these are similar charges they brought in many cases uh, one felony obstructing an official proceeding which you never got near the house floor the senate floor nothing where anything was actually occurring Right. right on. Okay. I mean, I'm double checking that. I mean, I know you said that. Felony of obstructing official proceeding, um, right. misdemeanors, entering, remaining in a restricted building, disorderly and disruptive conduct in a restricted building, disorderly conduct in a Capitol building, parading, demonstrating, or picketing in a Capitol building. This is a tactic they are using yes. to take one action at one event and make into as many charges as they can and then ask they be sentenced, you be sentenced for each, uh, you know, con not concurrently, but consecutively, so pile them all up. Exactly. So what you're referring to is a term we discuss in Dr. Gold's upcoming book, Selective Persecution, and this is overcharging. The first thing you're describing is horizontal overcharging. So this is where you take one crime or infraction, and then you apply six or seven different statutes that technically touch on that infraction, and you charge all six or seven of them for only one single act that was committed. That's the horizontal. Then the vertical overcharging, which also occurred in January 6th, including in my case, is where you reach beyond the infraction itself to a different statute that carries much more serious consequences, but you don't necessarily have the elements to justify that statute, but you bring it anyway. So in both cases, horizontal and vertical overcharging, 
overcharging is illegal. It is a total violation of our constitutional precepts. And when I was saying earlier that we are in this position, Dr. Gold and many others are coerced into these disgusting plea deals. It is because the justice, the Department of Justice is acting completely illegally. They are bringing charges for which they do not have the elements to actually prove them. They absolutely do not. And you know, two things. One is the conduct of the Department of Justice doing this. It is just a, it is a signal. It is a message to the American people. Nobody challenges us. It is a, you know, it's a, it happens. We are the rule of law. Well, right. We are the rule of law. It is a message to further, um, and it is to really for the people who were involved in this on January 6th protest, which is all it really was, a protest with very minor violence, some of which seems to have been conducted by people who were maybe not even Donald Trump supporters. Oh, anyway. Instigated and facilitated. That That's not even just a maybe it happened. I mean, they've literally admitted themselves that it happened in a courtroom. Oh, yeah, they, they, that the FBI was involved in instigating <laughs> They have it. admitted it multiple times. That it's up to 40-plus undercover agents that were involved, including admissions that they acted as agent provocateurs. Uh, you can't say uh, that. Yeah, they have admitted that. themselves on top of that. There was a recent, um, in response to a motion for release of more of the January 6th tapes, yes. one of the answers was, we can't release the tapes because then we might expose the identity of other under, un, undercover FBI agents. Remember previously they were saying that, in fact, one of the articles I just read today about Dr. Gold's case was saying, you know, the complete ridiculous conspiracy theory that the FBI was involved, and they were, and now everyone knows it, but no, there seems to be no consequence for that. Yeah. Yesterday's conspiracy theory is today's criminal action that has no consequence. No consequence, exactly right. So you are now facing uh, with this, you, so you're, you decide not to plead, you went to trial, Pretty much, didn't you kind of know the jury's going to find you guilty? Of course. Yes, I, I, I yeah. Uh, with 100% certainty, I knew that this is a lie, and therefore the trials are a sham. It is an entirely sham uh, piece of theater. It's all theater. Um, I, to, to make this case to the American people, to give you um, an example to compare it to, um, we had Alvin Bragg, uh, prosecutor in New York, bring charges against President Trump. These are, first of all, just genuinely ridiculous. It right. basically came down to an, an alleged accounting error in bookkeeping. Um, but also, it's seven or ten years ago, or correct me on the number, but it's years past the statute of limitations. More than that. Yeah. Many, many years ago. So for so many reasons, those were just scratching the surface. It's not like it's, it's not even really contested. Literally everyone knows, Democrat, Republican, left, right, or otherwise, everyone knows this is a fabricated sham. Everyone. So but but and yet it's it still happens anyway it, it it happens because it's theater it happens because it's part of the plan it happens because they have an objective justice and the upholding the rule of law is not the objective it is to get someone within the crosshairs so that they can justify themselves knocking that person out it is a vendetta it is a decision on, on donald trump be really clear the alleged event occurred in 1996 or 97. The person couldn't even remember when it happened, yes. the, 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 the accused, the person who's doing the accusing. And so she didn't know what year it happened. And the state legislature in New York had to change the statute of limitations to allow her to bring this case. Right. The obvious thing is they're just gonna get him and we don't care what happens to the rule of law and the, and the statute of limitations exists for a reason. No one's got it. Couldn't tell you what where they were in some date or 20x years ago. Yeah, so the comparison is, is for th at this point, is simply to make the point that everyone knows it's a sham. Everyone knows this is theater and political strategy. 
Um, January 6th is theater and political strategy. Now, I knew this shortly after it happened, and I've known it for two years, and I have been speaking as often and as publicly as I can to try to bring truth to these lies and expose this, this very malicious design. So I knew when I made the choice to re refuse the plea deal that I would be guilty before I got there and that a contrived Washington DC jury, not of my peers in any way, would convict me without hesitation. They couldn't wait to do it. It was a pleasure for them. And I mean that quite literally. Um, it was shocking to observe in person at my trial, but I knew it was what would happen. So on September 27th of 2022, I was convicted on all five counts, including a 20 year felony. Uh, that, that adds up to exactly 23 total years of potential prison time. Subsequently, and more recently, I have learned that the Department of Injustice uh, is filing paperwork suggesting sentencing enhancements. They're trying to make the claim that I'm so terrible and dangerous that I need to have upgraded sentencing guidelines and they want me in prison for over seven years. That's what they're actually pushing the judge to sentence me to. Again, as we, as you listed out, you asked me question by question, did you break anything? Did you do anything illegal? Did you do anything dangerous, et cetera, et cetera. I did nothing except literally do my job standing there, walking alongside of Dr. Gold to make sure she didn't get hurt by a, you know, a random passerby or whatnot. And all she did do, all she did was walk through and try to give a speech and then give a speech to her best of her ability in a very peaceful manner and complied with police orders. No crime was committed, zero. But I knew I would be convicted of 20 year felony plus facing now they want to put me in prison for seven years for doing my job and being a nonviolent American citizen. And that's the reality of what I'm facing. It is, it's, um, you know, it's beyond alarming and dangerous. And I keep making this point, and I'm sure you made it too, but. If you decide that you are okay as an American citizen to let the Department of Justice target people, be on a vendetta, selectively prosecute, choose people you don't like, and go after them and enhance their sentences and you know, overcharge, and, and as you vertical and, and, and horizontal overcharging, you're really okay with surrendering the, the whole rule of law. You're okay with surrendering the rule of law and, and the Department of Justice can continue to do this. And even if you think it's okay right now, sometime it could be your family member. It could be where, where priorities switch. I mean, I don't think, I, I just cannot conceive of the conservative patriot DOJ doing such things, but you're really endangering all of America if you're going to say the DOJ can do these things and there's just no consequence. You're, you're just, you're agreeing to the surrender of the justice system. So um, I know you're really active in on speaking up about this and I was actually thought we had time to go through a lot of your uh, Twitter feed as well as your um, presence on social media because you're speaking about, about more than just yeah. January 6th. So, I mean, why are you doing that? Why are you getting involved in issues beyond January 6th? Well, January 6th was not the start of this fight for me. Um, I've been involved since the beginning of 2020. And, and actually, I'm glad you asked me that question, Debbie, because um, who am I? Why am I here? What am I doing? What's, you know, I, I, like I told you, I, I was working on my own as an independent artist. Um, I was actually traveling overseas, working in the fashion industry uh, before the coronavirus chaos hit. And I had just come back to the US and was looking forward to going back to Europe. And the lockdowns were instituted and I couldn't work, I couldn't travel. And I instantly realized at that time that this was not um, yesterday's uh, paranoia. This was, uh, this was a unique moment in time and this was the beginning of the insertion of a Marxist takeover in our country. I instantly recognized it simply because my parents raised me to be a common sense independent thinker and I actually have read some world history. So when the lockdowns were instituted, I, I resisted and rebelled 
in, immediately. And I actually made a choice at that time. I felt very much the Holy Spirit speak to me and say, God was calling me to step out of just the narrow lane of working in Hollywood as an artist that was not politically active because you cannot be politically active in Hollywood and get any jobs. Um, but I, I made the choice then that I'm going to speak publicly against this tyranny. And that coincided with supporting President Trump in the 2020 election because at that point it was very black and white. You are either supporting the Biden regime, the Obama-Biden regime, uh, which collectively is gaslighting people into believing they're supporting equality or equity or these other confusing terms, but what they're doing is undermining the Constitution. Um, or you are going to support the resistance to that, which was President Trump and the America First agenda. Um, so I proudly support America First just on the general concept that America is an amazing country founded on Judeo-Christian values that I unequivocally and unapologetically believe and stand for and will speak to. Um, President Trump just gave us some clever marketing terms to encapsulate those ideas with, you know, make America great again. But I believe in that idea, apart from President Trump. He's just the most effective person on the scene at that time that was pushing that ball forward, and I wanted to participate in that effort. I love that. You also speak quite openly, unlike some other um, people involved politically or people involved in the January 6th, uh, about your faith. I mean, you, yeah. you talk about the place of, of, and I have to tell you, I, I didn't tell you this before we got started, but yeah. I was recently at an event where um, this very prominent individual was giving a speech and he's talking about national security and the threat of China and the CCP and the takeover of America and a whole bunch of, you know, very, very profoundly, he's very well informed, uh, deep observations about America. But he ended up saying in the speech, you know, he, his, way, his wording of it was, we're not going to get out of this without God. It's actually how he said it. We're not going to get out of this without God. We can't just find a better policy, elect a better person, choose a better governor, choose a better whoever it is. We're not going to get out of this without God. And that really resonated. I mean, I, I am, you know, a, a Christian. I, we pray for this country every day. But I think that recognition that what we're facing in this country is so severe, so dangerous, so extreme, that many people who maybe weren't all that religious to start with are starting to realize we better start praying for this country and not just praying in some, you know, begging, pleading, please help us, but just affirmationally about God's power and greatness and the source of America's very identity and the declaration that comes from God. I sense that from you. So I'd love to have you talk about that a little bit. Yeah. If yeah, you're comfortable doing that. Are you kidding? I'm so excited. You actually nailed it right on the head. So we can't get out of this mess without God, but more specifically, we can't get out of this mess without faith. So if we expect to just hand it over to God and say, clean up the mess, um, that's not how it works. So God's calling us to participate in our life with him in obedience to him for the purpose of bringing him glory uh, in a kingdom that has rooms built for us with our names on them. So it's, it's to bring God glory, but our life and our experience and the story that God has for each one of us is a huge part of that glorious experience that he's calling us to and that he has promised that we will and can accomplish in his strength and in obedience to his calling. So this is such an important concept, but faith is the only thing that will lead us out of this mess. Faith is what actually pleases God. What is faith? Well, we refer to faith generally as this idea that we believe in something, we have a hope that it's possible. But even more specifically, faith is the understanding, it's the belief in something that you know is true, not just that you hope might happen. Right. And what we know is true is that God is in control and that God is good, that he has a plan, and that 
He has invited us to participate in faith, to believe in my own strength, I cannot do this. But with God, all things are possible. And he has said, if you follow me, if you surrender to me, if you are obedient to me, then I will provide the supernatural grace and the supernatural power that you need to do things that are impossible in your own strength. So God's not going to just do it for us and clean up the mess. He's calling us to come to him, surrender to him, serve him, and, and be leaders and be bold and courageous um, in whatever capacity he's given us. Uh, and then in exercising that faith, God will bless that and he'll, he will bring revolution and restoration and revival to the United States of America. He can and he will, and I'm believing and trusting in it to happen. Not to be smart, Alec. Amen. Amen to everything you just said. It's a trust in God. He, trust in God's omnipotence. It's not just a, you know, pleading, maybe, can you please solve this, do this, fix this, but trust in his governance and his omnipotence and a willingness to follow and step up. It's why I do my show, why so many others get involved in this movement to save America. It is really standing up for this beautiful country, the, the ideas of which sprung from the scriptures, where the declarations ideas came from, where our founders tried to write about it was the idea of a country rooted in liberty that's granted by God. And there's every generation has the duty, the obligation to stand up for it, speak up for it, and fight for it. Love that. Okay, John Strand, I know there's one more thing I saw somewhere. Uh, there is a prayer call that you are yes. maybe doing. Can you talk about that? Yes, please. So if you guys can please visit johnstrand.com. That's J-O-H-N-S-T-R-A-N-D johnstrand.com and we have a registration at the top to participate in the zoom prayer vigil on may 31st so i'm being sentenced on june 1st facing up to 23 years of potential prison a doj that is actively trying to put me in prison for seven years and uh that's actually what i'm facing it's it's crazy to even think about um but i'm not really thinking about that what I'm thinking about is what it means. I'm thinking about the danger that exists for our entire country. And I'm thinking about the necessity, as you just said, of inviting God as omnipotent, om omnipresent, as all-powerful, as gracious, and as the leader of our world, um, the king that we serve, inviting him to intervene at this moment on May 31st in a miraculous way before my sentencing on June 1st. And uh, my prayer, my hope is, is that God would bring a greater awareness to the court in D.C. at that time and the details of my story to, for people to understand that I actually am innocent and that I'm, I'm, I'm taking the stand that I am. I'm making the decision that I have made because it is truthful and the right thing to do. And I must do what is right no matter what the threat or the cost or the consequence. End of story. Um, but this isn't the end of the story. It's just the beginning. So we invite people to join us for that Zoom prayer vigil on May 31st. Um, and on June 1st, we will hold a press conference immediately after the sentencing um, to discuss what's next. I can't even think of anything to add. John Strand, thank you so much for joining me today. I'm so glad you're available to be here. Thank you. It's an absolute honor, Debbie. It's, uh, God bless you so much for your courage in highlighting these issues because not too many people are willing to even talk about them. And that's the first, uh, the first step is to acknowledge what's happening and then to, uh, to engage. So thank you. God bless. Right. Learn the truth and then get involved. Yes. Get in the fight. Everyone's got to be in the fight. So thank you again, John Strand. Love talking to you. Likewise. Thank you. Okay, my friends. So that was our show yesterday, uh, my interview yesterday of John Strand. Um, and I talked a little bit too long in the beginning, so I cannot get to the rest of the topics I plan on talking with you about today. But I will get to them very soon. More consequences flowing from the Durham report. 
I need to close the show today. I'm going to turn to, as I always do, the Why It Matters to You segment, but I want to encourage you to tune in tomorrow, uh, which is Wednesday. We have joining us in studio Rachel Perry. She is the mother of Daniel Perry, the U.S. military um, the mother of the U.S. military uh, gentleman who uh, was convicted of murder after shooting in self-defense during uh, a riot in Austin, and you'll hear that story, another story that appears to be the justice system completely out of whack. And then Thursday, we have Lieutenant Colonel Alan West joining us in the studio, so don't miss a single show. Please, at the close of every show, I tell you why the stories we talked about today matter to you. So we started today, and the only topic I really got to besides the interview, uh, judge dismisses Carrie Lake election lawsuit again, a three-day trial with new evidence, especially surrounding phony signature verification, ends with trial judge finding the evidence was not clear and convincing, Carrie Lake will appeal, evidence of a stolen election in Arizona is overwhelming, and the people of Arizona know it. Are judges intimidated by the leftist communist mobs and willfully denying truth? There can never be justice without devotion to truth and honesty. No judicial system can survive the brazen denial of truth. Nothing can confer legitimacy on Soros-funded Katie Hobbs. Her election was an obvious sham, and the people of Arizona know it. Leftist mobs and Pravda media will proclaim Hobbs' victory, but it is all a lie. Turmoil will continue in Arizona and America. Judges cannot make a lie into the truth. I am Debbie Georgiatis. The show is America Can We Talk. You can find our show online at americacanwetalk.org. Tune in, please, every Monday through Thursday at 3 p.m. Central Time to America Can We Talk, where I always talk truth about America because America matters. And I will talk to you next time. Can we talk truth about America? Can you hear-